special edition of our show, Herstory, on the rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally just be Allie and I hanging out, having a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history, and this time, specifically women's history. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> we have two very special guests here with us today, Elsa Holland and Joe Bell. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank Hi, you. Hi, thank you for having us. Great to be here. Joe Bell is a poet and broadcaster with a background in archaeology, and Ailsa Holland is a poet, writer, and activist who was the Manchester Cathedral Poet of the Year in 2019, and they wrote the book, On This Day, She, Putting Women Back in History, One Day at a Time, along with Tanya Hirschman. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Shall we do that alphabetically? Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> I'm Joe. This is Joe's voice you're hearing now. I am a poet, uh, but before I entered that lucrative and glamorous profession, I was in the still more lucrative and glamorous world of archaeology. Uh, at least I get to wear clean clothes nowadays. Uh, and so I was, I was very interested in particular women in history, women archaeologists such as Gertrude Bell. And of course, I was working all the time with historical sources which makes you always aware that there are big gaps inside them, as I think you know. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm Ailsa, Ailsa Holland. Um, I'm a poet as well. And that, in fact, is how Joe and I met through the uh, huge poetry world in Great Britain. And um, so before I did this, I was, yeah, I was an academic. Um, and then I was a full-time mum for a long time. Um, and then kind of got back into poetry and then started this project. Um, I'd, I'd become very aware of women missing from history in terms of literary history when I was a student and was kind of furious. So rage is a big theme with us. Um, furious to discover or, or um, yeah, to realise that 30 years after I'd started at university that not a lot had changed in terms of people being aware of just how much women had done in the past and etc. Yeah. And so this is where this came from. The project came from. Perfect. Well, before we get into the book, we have a cocktail that we made for it. Um, so it's obviously called On This Day. And I was thinking about something that we all do daily, which is drink coffee or tea or orange juice. So I kind of combine them all, not orange juice with coffee, thank goodness. But <laughs> <laughs> so this is bourbon coffee liqueur, a chai simple syrup, and orange bitters all combined together. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. 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 I raise my teacup to you. Yes. <laughs> <Tea>. <laughs> So before we dive all the way into your book, can we kind of set the scene for how this project came to be in 2018 on Twitter? Can you tell us how that happened? So I was given a calendar um, in the Christmas of 2016, which was an On This Day in History calendar for 2017. Mm -hmm. And it was, you could tear off a sheet for each day, yeah? And um, and it was really interesting. You know, I learned all sorts of stuff, which, of course, I've forgotten again now. But it did became clear to me as it went along that there were like no women in it. I think the first woman was mentioned by about the end of February. And then I started counting the women. And by the end of July, I had like 20. 
And so as it went through the year, I just got kind of more and more angry with this calendar <laughs> that um, stood in my kitchen. And I saw it every single day and got more and more angry. And then on in October, I went out um, one day with Joe and Tanya to a local kind of farmer's market we have here. And we were having tea and cake and what have you. And I said, could I just say that I'm getting really cross about this calendar? <laughs> and um, yeah, and they were like, oh, that's outrageous. And we need to do something about it. And so we thought, what can we do? Because we're all, you know, writers and poets. And it's not like we've got, you know, big cash or big, you know, you know, we're not, uh, what's the word, commissioners for the BBC or whatever. <laughs> so we thought, well, we can do Twitter, right? Because that's free and you don't have to write too much each day. And so if we're doing it in our spare time, it's not such a big thing. Um, yeah. And so we started it at the beginning of 2018. And so we've just celebrated our fifth birthday, um, which is really exciting. And um, yeah, yeah, it's been fantastic. And we've loved people's response to it. So there were three of us when, when we set out um, and we just divided it up in a very straightforward way that Ailsa does a week, I do a week, Tanya at the time did a week, and now it's just the two of us, so we, we split it. Um, and every single day we tweet, which obviously limits how much time we can spend on them, um, about a woman who either is known in history, but not perhaps for the right thing, or who is not known at all, but ought to be. On the same terms as the men in history, basically. So we found, for instance, that women who are known as mistresses or courtesans or wives of are, of course, lobbyists and gatekeepers and activists. And there wasn't a name for that role, but that's what they were doing a lot of the time. So Sometimes the changes to the way that history is presented are almost cosmetic. It's a question of going back and describing those women in a particular way. But very often we've been able to say, here's a woman you've never heard of before. Doesn't that make you furious? Yeah. <laughs> and, and very often we do, we get that reply. That rage has indeed been a big characteristic. And of course we laugh about it, but it's genuine rage because all of the all of the time we've come across these women and thought how dare you not tell us about these women how how can we possibly not know about these women and time and time again we found that women now really appreciate astonishingly hearing about women in their own field of endeavor or of their own race or of their own faith you know who they just didn't know were out there yeah, I think it's wonderful because it's something that, you know, we do here as well, obviously, you know, we dig into these people and such a common theme of their story sometimes is, and still people don't want to acknowledge that they did this because they love mm -hmm. to use like archaeology to be like, well, we don't really know if this is what was going on. And it's like, like there's um the woman who was like the first, she started the first university, this um Islamic woman, this Muslim woman, and she we literally have her degree, her literal diploma. And they're like, well, we don't really know if we can give her credit for that. <laughs> a lot of it this is language, is isn't it? We've said this before, you know, and you see these things and, and it goes on, you know, even, you know, in sort of Wikipedia and whatever, that if a man did something, it will be like, and in 1724, he did whatever. And if it's a woman, she is reputed to 
Mm-hmm. Or it is said that she, or it might be a legend, but. Mm-hmm. And, and there are all these little nifty ways that it, it's divorced from being actual history and actual fact and to make it uncertain. On um, the same evidence, we might add. So, on the so same the, evidence. This is not very often, I think, a perception of, of what we call by default women's history, but which is actually just history, yeah. is that people assume you must be hyping them up. You must be exaggerating what they did. And that, I think, is where those those words come from, which we all use. We caught ourselves doing it, is reputed to have, is said to have, is believed to have. Um, it is It is not recorded properly in history. There have been a couple of cases where it says... Um, Herodotus says that she did such and such a thing, but we don't know if that's true. Mm. And I wanted to go and slap them and say, if we don't believe what past historians tell us happened, we literally don't know anything is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We weren't there all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. I know uh, one of the most common questions that I get since we started this show is, have you guys run out of women yet? And I, I always am, I'm always surprised by that. And I wonder, did you have you guys gotten similar feedback of like, where are you finding all this? Are you sure that many women have done this many things? <laughs> and the thing is that women are literally half of the present day and historic population of the world. We are never going to run out of women. Yes, we get that question all the time. Mm-hmm. Have you run out of men yet? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. And and we get, you know, I don't mean to be facile. We get why they ask, because we know, of course, the opportunities were so, so much smaller for women to do the things that we value now. Um, but they were very, very plentiful. And when you have all of history to draw on, I think Ailsa will confirm that at first we weren't sure, were we? Um, and, well, we, no, we... and that's shocking, isn't it? When you consider that, I mean, Tanya is a science person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- the history thing was new to her. But when you consider that I've spent, you know, 10 years of my life in university studying literary history and political history and whatever. And Joe has studied literature and has been an archaeologist. And because of the teaching that we had in the late 20th century, we weren't sure how many women we would find. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, but then once we started digging in, oh, it's not just, you know, in terms of literary history, Jane Eyre, yeah, um, I'm saying Jane Eyre, the Bronte. <laughs> I know, sorry, I meant Jane Austen, Jane I got confused. <laughs> Jane Austen, the Brontes and Virginia Woolf or whatever, you know. Um, and yes, and that in all fields, and, and, and it's a double silencing, isn't it? Because it was so difficult clearly for those women to do that stuff at the time and they would and people tried to silence them or tried to stop them doing that stuff at the time and yet they managed to do it and then we ignore that they did it yeah <laughs> and, and, we, and then and then we forget about them generation after generation after generation so every generation new female historians discover these women and then they're not remembered into the next generation. So mm-hmm. the next generation of female historians is like, oh, look at all these women. <laughs> we, have, we have this, there's a, I have a wonderful quote. The same um, women. The same women. Yeah. That this quote, uh, Christine de Pizan, um, you know, who's uh, probably, possibly, is said to be the first woman in Europe 
to earn her writing, uh, her living by writing. And um, and I got a quote from her said, there can be few people who have been discovered so many times. <laughs> you know, because somebody discovered her in the 19th century and thought, oh, that's amazing, you know, and then somebody discovered her in the 70s and then people discovered her again in the 2000s and... Yeah. Each generation discovers them again. and uh, But what's interesting is that very seldom, relatively speaking, do we get someone suggested to us who is new to us. Mm-hmm. So personally, I find that a little bit disheartening that people, bless them, are willing to help us and mm-hmm. to send us suggestions. But ever so often they say, I've heard about this amazing woman called Christine de Pizan or something like that. And you want to say... Yeah, she's actually she's really well known now. She's yeah. kind of in, she's kind of in the mainstream histories now and acknowledged now. And she was first translated on, into English in the 16th century. Yeah, yeah. And on the yeah. one hand, one rejoices that these women are coming into mainstream history, but one feels also a deep frustration that there's not the expansion there should be. I mean, we're still we're we're digging a little deeper. Mm-hmm. all the time now and it's not hard to do i'll give you an example i was in our local library last week they were selling off some books and one of them was called goldsmiths in london in the 18th century i can't imagine why they wanted to get rid of it but anyway i thought well some of them will have been women because we know from a little research we've done already that women in the luxury trades were quite prominent as business people in london at that time so I just looked looked in the index and found some women who turned out to be related to the one silversmith that we do know of, Hester Bateman, who's a very celebrated silversmith in 18th century England. So it it doesn't take a lot of excavation to find them. And if people are listening to this who want to add, particularly to the Wikipedia sources, I'm sure that you're very aware Anyone can add to those. Anyone can become a wiki editor and bulk up, bulk up the, the content of women. Yeah, I do love that about your book is that it ends with kind of like, OK, what can you do to include more women? And the, one of the first things is like, be a Wikipedia editor. Take this information, take the information you find and put it out there so it's more accessible. Because I can't tell you how many times we've done episodes on women and I find all this information on their Wikipedia pages like, so small and it's very frustrating um but I also wanted to talk about another aspect of your book that I love and I think we have this in common is that we don't just highlight the saints of women's history you know we talk about the good women and the bad women and you know we talk about fictional women and (laughs) because it should be all inclusive we talk about terrible men all the time (laughs) So if we didn't talk about terrible men, there'd be no history, right? Exactly. There would be no history books. It would be like a couple couple of doctors. um, That would be it. This is the single thing that, that, that strikes me. This is the single thing that perhaps annoys me most about the way that people perceive feeds like ours or other sources of women's history. That, of course, we want to celebrate. Of course, we want to to rejoice in successful women who ought to be in the history books. But equality works both ways. And it turns out some of the women in history are absolute shockers. <laughs> um, who knew? You know, of, 
of course they are. And it seems to me it's another kind of sexism, which we perpetrate upon ourselves. If we say all the women we're prepared to look at in history are the good uplifting celebration worthy women not only do you have to be good and morally upright in this life to be a worthy woman not only do you have to jump through all of those hurdles but even if you've been dead for 500 years we're not going to even look at you on a women's history account unless you are a good egg so nonsense you know so we we but we do find that every single time we put on our feed a woman who is a mass murderer or some kind of horrible political tyrant, no matter how far back in time, we get people who indignantly say, I don't feel like celebrating this woman. And we will stick to our guns on this. Women are not there to smile for you. And women are not there to always be celebrated. History is a record of what happened, not of what we would like to have happened. And it also denigrates what the women who did fantastic stuff and and chose, you know, against all odds to, uh, you know, launch a medical service during the First World War, even though nobody wanted to let them or whatever, because it suggests that, well, that's just what women would naturally do because they're just nice. <laughs> you know? uh, whereas actually, you know, well, I mean, of course we are nice, you know, but... I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we all are. Clearly. But, but, but for all of us, being nice is a choice in the same way that being nice is a choice for a man, you know? And so the fact that women do these fantastic things is not, do you see what I mean? It kind of, it kind of puts it down because it's like, well, we expect women to be this fantastic all of the time. So, you know, um, Yes, no, that makes us very well, close. And we always get people who say, oh, I'm, I'm unfollowing you now because I can't. Yeah. And even when it's not a mass murderer, even when it's somebody who actually did something pretty cool, but also held what we consider now to be quite repellent views yeah. on something yeah. else. You know, so they're, they're complex and we're not allowed to say, well, you know, clearly that was awful, but they also did this. We know, of course, that Twitter is not a place for nuance. You know, we, we knew that. <laughs> yeah. When we out. That was not a surprise to us. Mm. Um, so we try really carefully to use neutral language mm -hmm. to make it clear. Um, for instance, there was one a few weeks ago about um, the uprising when Trump brought his supporters into the Capitol mm -hmm. and there was a woman shot during that uprising. Um, we posted about her because no matter what your political viewpoint is on that, whether she was doing a good thing or doing a bad thing, she was there. Mm -hmm. she, her death is a part of the history of that event. Uh, and so we included her as a part of, of the sort of unfolding current history. We do occasionally put in very current things like today someone is being sworn in as the first female president of whatever country it is mm -hmm. today we remember the work of uh, and we we honor sometimes women who are making a real difference now well because we hope you know that in a small way by by posting a tweet about so re not that long ago we had 
the first woman who was ever going to conduct in the Vienna Opera House or something like and it has been there hundreds of years right mm. so so we mark that and then hope that when somebody's googling whatever that by doing that in a way we've inserted her into history in a tiny way you know that 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 she isn't gonna have to be rediscovered do you know what I mean yeah um, of course and and, for and example, also, the woman, God. I was gonna say the woman at the Capitol you know it's important to know in a weird way that there was a woman there mm-hmm. you know that that historians will look back on that and you know was it a ve- was it a very male movement was it you know well well there was a woman there mm-hmm. um and so but were they most you know, were they mostly men Did, so you know we've had like a female terrorist you know, I don't want to read about a female terrorist but you have to know that there was a female terrorist yeah. she was a suicide bomber and yeah. I mean when we, when we did that Tanya she it was in Jerusalem and Tanya was actually living in Jerusalem at the time that that happened and she said it was massive because always people had felt safe around women mm. yeah then yeah. all of a sudden they didn't you know and these things are important even if there's something that we don't agree with or that we are poor actually we still have to know it also important are the silly women yeah. so we also i'm i'm very much in favor of silliness i find it it leavens life splendidly and, and um for instance we have the woman whose name eludes me at the moment but she was the first woman to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. I'm not sure if there was a yeah. second. It's the day uh, after my it's October yeah. 24th. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Annie Edson Taylor. So you featured her. Yeah. We yeah. love her. Yes. She's so day great. After my birthday. Yeah. Wait, yeah. when's your birthday? My birthday is October the 23rd. That's my so... birthday. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and my we're, husband's we're... birthday. <laughs> Twins. Oh my God. Extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because so, I was going to ask you if you guys had any say in what event was on your birthday in the book. We didn't really. But one thing that we haven't talked about yet, and, and we haven't really talked about at all in any of the interviews, is how we choose the women for particular days. Mm-hmm. Because I think we're unique in this. Most people who do an on this day she account will say on this day she was born or died. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure she was, but we don't consider that one of her greatest achievements. You know, <laughs> we like to commemorate women on the day that they did something. Mm-hmm. And when we put photos up, we try to find a photo of the woman doing something, mm-hmm. not just. And it's quite difficult for, for instance, Victorian women, where they all have these beautiful headshots taken in a studio. We try to find pictures of them doing something active for which they are remembered. Yeah, I was going to say that is one of my favorite things about this book, because we on our Instagram posts like a daily thing about women. But it's the things you can find offhand are the days that women were born. Mm -hmm. So when I see something, this woman published this book, I'm like, (gasps) (laughs) it's different. It's different. It's not good. That's the part where we have to dig, and it, it, it is difficult. We almost always manage. Sometimes we have to stretch a little bit and say, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, on this day, the, re, the, the film was re-released, or yeah. on this day, uh, she did an interview with Time magazine or whatever. But we, we try, 
it's very rarely that we have to fall back on a birthday or a death date. Obviously, the further back in time you go, mm-hmm. the more that happens. And yet we did a few weeks ago Agrippina, who um, poisoned her husband, Claudius, uh, and uh, did various other horrid things. But we know the exact day. We know the exact date on which she did that because the Romans were good with dates. And so surprisingly... was big and important, right? Yeah. So yeah. The, more, the more rich and important, the more likely you are to find the date. Um, yeah. Yes, and there are still biases, of course, that, that history favours the victors. And although we can excavate the women, it's still easier to see the rich ones. Yeah. What I also love, so on the first and the last day, January um, 1st and December 31st, they're not even exactly something happened on this date. You just open it up with like some really cool people. Um, so the first woman is Enhenduana. Um, she was the first named writer in world history, which I love. And then you end the book with this statuette, the Venus of Willendorf or Villendorf, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and I like that kind of like this statuette embodies all the women that we don't know, that we don't have the record of. So why? Can you talk to us a little bit about why you chose to end the book with this kind of broad stroke? Well, she was yours, Elsa, I think. Did you write that one? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Um, Well, she's our, um, she's our wee icon on Twitter, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I don't know, maybe we like her. I I feel (laughs) that I identify with her shape more and more the older I get. (laughs) So um, maybe that's it as well, that she's a kind of, She's a little female shape that's not like shaped like a Barbie or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also that sense of her, she's just so ancient. Mm-hmm. And so it's that, you know, it's, uh, you know, 30, 40,000 years ago that somebody made this. And um, and they're always, you know, these little figures. So she's from Austria, from Willendorf. And but a lot of these figures have been found in Europe. And for years, people have called them fertility figures or whatever. And. Um, and as you'll have read in the book, now there's this theory that maybe women made these figures. And um, of course, you know, we'll never know. Women were, were reputed to have made these figures. <laughs> but I think, yeah. So I think for me, the fascination that it's so that she's so ancient and that, you know, those sorts of figures would have taken such a time to make mm-hmm. in a time when people were living surely hand to mouth and every you know every hour was important whether that was in terms of you know gathering food gathering wood for a fire or or whatever and so to take that time to make something like that she must have really meant something mm-hmm. um and so i just think she's a wonderful symbol of yeah you know women you know women doing art but also all of those women over the years who won't have had time to do anything other than keep everybody alive and keep everybody warm, which is, of course, you know, um, also really important work, but something that isn't written up in history as an amazing thing. And so, yeah, for me, she's just a representative of that. Mm. Is that It's lovely, too, because for us, she represents the unknown woman. And of course, most of the people who have lived in the world before us are unknown. Mm. Um, women more so even than men but 
for me as an archaeologist, that's really important that actually most of the people who've ever set foot on the earth, we have no idea they were ever here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Venus stands for all those women in particular whose names we do not know and whose experience we can't represent in this book, no matter how much we, we look for them. Can you tell us just a few of your favorite, favorite women, maybe someone that really just sticks with you from the book? I love the, I love the ones that have to do with book culture, because I guess that's my thing. So um, I really, really loved we had we because some when we were doing the book on some of the dates, we clashed. Right. Because it was like, but I've got a woman who's really important. Yeah. Who should <laughs> May the 9th. And then it was like, well, my woman is more important than your woman. Yeah. So we, so we, so each each of us, the three of us, had one woman that was like nobody could question, like your child mine, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So Tanya, I think, had Marie Curie, and and mine was Alice Chaucer, mm-hmm. who was the granddaughter of Geoffrey Tr- Chaucer, the very mm-hmm. very famous, incredibly uber famous medieval English poet. Um, but of course, Alice, nobody had heard of. And but she was amazing and she collected a library, including some works by Christine de Pizan, and um did loads for education in her in the village. She was a, a lady, obviously, of the manor and did loads for education in her village and stuff. So I found her really cool. And then on a similar line, but based in the US, a woman called Dorothy Porter, mm-hmm. who became librarian of Howard University in 1930. And basically massively expanded the library of this historically black university and decolonized the whole of the Dewey Decimal System. Wow. Because until that time, any works by black people had been filed either under slavery or under colonialism. (laughs) Wow. And But she made sure that she had representative of black authors and expertise in like all areas and expanded the library I'm going to check because I looked up the numbers so when she arrived there were 3,000 items in the library and when she left there were 180,000 whoa that's amazing and that's very close to us Howard University we're in Baltimore so that's oh right okay well you should you should look her up because she's amazing and of course it's one of those things that that's one of my favorite things about this book is that and and the whole Twitter account is that you can you can redefine what history is. <laughs> so it isn't just wars and it isn't just whatever, but it's a librarian. And she has changed the world because then people have gone to that university. So Toni Morrison went to that university. Chadwick Boseman went to that university. Kamala Harris went to that university. And if somebody hadn't come and done fantastic things with the library, then the knock-on effect of the people who went, do you know what I mean? Oh, That's yeah. really changing without being in any way kind of glamorous or sexy or badass or whatever these things are that we're all meant to be it's just a librarian doing a really fantastic job Mm. um so I love her yeah how about you Jill well I I had um bookmarked a couple that that I was thinking about today and the one woman that I particularly wanted to talk about, I thought, oh, well, actually, I ought to see I ought to see who it is for today before I pick her. And it <laughs> turns out she's today's woman. So um, a Viking warrior, because I'm an archaeologist by training, this one particularly appealed to me because it talks about how we all make default assumptions about history. Um, in 1878, there was an excavation in Sweden 
of a, a warrior's grave, um, a Viking then in Birka in Sweden. And perhaps not unnaturally at the time, since this person was buried with lances, shields, armor-piercing arrows, a sword, an axe, a fighting knife, and a gaming board, which is the sign of a military leader, the sign of a strategist, with no domestic items whatsoever, no household items. Naturally, it's a warrior. Naturally, it's a man. Well, in 2017, following some DNA analysis, it was established that, astonishingly enough, this person was a woman. And so naturally, what happened is a great many scholars who ought to have known better suddenly declared that this body, whose identity as a warrior had never been contested, <laughs> couldn't be a warrior because she was a woman. Mm -hmm. She could be a woman, in which case she obviously couldn't be a warrior, or she could be a warrior, in which case she obviously wasn't a woman. So Uniquely, as far as I know, in archaeology, the scholars who had originally published, published again two years later, a paper in which with scathing wit, basically, they went over the evidence again and, and essentially said, it is so much harder to believe any of the alternative theories you are putting forward than to simply believe that this is a warrior who was a woman. Mm -hmm. And so what that makes me think is, how many of the priests, how many of the sailors, how many of the soldiers that we have buried, how many of the people that we have always assumed to be men, some of them, not many of them perhaps, but some of them will have been women. And it's important for us to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. So we know from Viking myth that they speak about the shield maidens. And myth is where a lot of pre-literate cultures keep their history so it, it's not necessarily literally true in every case what happens in the viking sagas but when they talk about shield maidens that's because shield maidens exist mm -hmm. so she's one of my favorites she she made a point and i do love enhedwana who as you say is the very first mm -hmm. person we have in the book i love the idea that we bookend with two prehistoric women Mm -hmm. And Enhedwana was uh, a priestess. And we've got a quote in, in the book about her, that her poem, The Exaltation of Inanna, I mean, it's not a great read, I wouldn't recommend it, but <laughs> it's 700 years older than the Egyptian Book of the Dead, more than a thousand years older than the I Ching, 1500 years older than the Odyssey, the Iliad and the Hebrew Bible. And what I particularly like about that is that um, in the Odyssey, which we so revere as a great prehistoric work of art, Penelope is told, go to your room. Speech is the business of men. Mm -hmm. And a millennium and a half before Homer wrote that line or spoke that line, Enhedwana was singing loud and clear. Mm -hmm. And you can't help feeling that Homer wrote that because yeah. women did. Speak yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this has been so fun, and you are both so amazing, and it's been a joy talking to you. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter, where they can purchase this book, and where they can follow all the other stuff you're doing? So we're on Twitter as on this day she, and we're also on Instagram. Although Twitter is 
absolutely every day and Instagram is when we can. Um, <laughs> you can purchase this book. So there's a US edition now and at all the normal places, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and, you know, your local independent bookstore. If you have one, we're much in favor of people supporting those if they can, although I know it's not always possible. Um, yeah. And we're just carrying on doing various things trying to get people to talk more about women in history um we did we did some stuff locally over the summer we made some blue plaques for women here locally who people hadn't heard of and oh, yeah well that's fantastic well thank you and obviously give our thanks to tanya as well who can't be here but mm -hmm. also is a huge part of this book um yes. and yeah we're just so grateful to have other people in I'll say our field, of, <laughs> our field of study, our field of study of bringing attention to, um, to women who we may not have heard of or know of and the bad girls and the bad girls too. The bad girls. We call Thank ourselves you. the history sisters. Yes. So we're all, so we're all history sisters, right? It's a, somebody said on Twitter once, cause it was when it was our fifth birthday and Joe had posted a tweet about, you know, so far we've, um, tweeted about more than 1800 women and somebody said you know oh is it a competition we're like, no it's not no. a competition yeah. it's a sisterhood right because because none of us have got that much time so um, so we're all doing work to build on each other's work and 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 amplify this stuff and so and that includes you too. so thank you for what you do as well and thank you so much for having us yeah thank you for being here